everybody. It is Thursday, January 28th, 2021, and this is the Fight Business Podcast. I'm your host, Patrick Auger, and today we're going to talk a lot of things post-UFC 257. We'll talk about what it means for the business as a whole, that Conor McGregor lost in the manner that he did. Does it affect the entire industry? Does it affect the UFC? Does it affect just him? How does it affect each of those elements? We'll, we'll go through that. We'll talk about the best matchups the UFC can now make from a business perspective for both Conor McGregor, Dustin Poirier, and also the co-main event with Michael Chandler getting a big win. We'll talk about Ben Askren versus Jake Paul. That's now an official main event. It's going to be a boxing exhibition on Triller. It should be interesting. We'll talk about the ramifications of that a little bit, especially with Ben still being under UFC contract. We're going to talk about the pay-per-view estimates that have come out of UFC 257. So that should be an interesting topic here in terms of looking at some of those numbers because we've got a pretty reliable source there. And we'll compare them to what I predicted before the event as well as what it means for the business. And we'll also talk about some interesting information that Jimmy Smith brought up about freak show types of fights and how that kind of wraps in with Ben Askren and Jake Paul and and what it means long term. So as always, appreciate you joining me. Uh, if you can hit that like and subscribe button as we go through all this stuff, and the timestamp should now be at the bottom as well as over here. But you should see the new fancy YouTube timestamps at the bottom, uh, so you should be able to kind of jump around as you please. That in mind, let's go ahead and dive right in. So first up, of course, we have to talk about the events of Saturday at UFC 257 with Conor McGregor getting a knockout loss against Dustin Poirier. I believe it was officially ruled a TKO, but even John McCarthy and a couple of the refs got on there and said, no, nah, that should have been a KO. There should be no T there. Dustin Poirier, you know, weathered the storm early, ended up surviving Conor's, you know, bigger punches and, you know, made adjustments from the last time he fought Connor looked like a totally different fighter and it worked out just executed his game plan to a T and knocking out Connor is huge for him. I mean, that's about as big of a rub as you can get in the business nowadays. With that being said, let's talk about the ramifications for the business, right? Cause whether you love him or hate him, Connor McGregor is the biggest star in MMA right now. It's, it's a simple fact if he does pretty much anything tabloids pick it up the amount of times i've seen stories based on his tweets alone should tell you how big of an influence he is not just inside the mma community but as a crossover star he's one of the only crossover stars really left standing at this point john jones is also kind of there but his legal issues and his inactivity have kind of left him in a weird limbo where he's still drawing. He still makes some waves, but not what he used to, not at the height of his popularity. Really, McGregor's the last one left, and he's been a little bit more inactive, so him coming back and doing just about anything gets some attention. A lot of people are saying, oh, man, if he loses again, that's it. It's over. You know, done deal. I don't believe that's the case either. I, I, I really don't. Um and and let's let's start from the big picture and go in. So we'll start with the industry effects, then the promotion effects, then Connor. So industry effects. You now have the biggest crossover star in the sport losing, and in dominant fashion too, right? It, first round, Connor. I th I did end up giving to Connor. I think a lot of people did, but it wasn't you know 
domination. It wasn't Eddie Alvarez type performance where it was just, whoa, Connor looked unstoppable. Or even an Nate Diaz one, right? Connor looked very good in that Nate Diaz fight in round one. It wasn't until round two that he ran into some trouble and the finish happened. I mean, this this was instead kind of a pretty even fight. Connor won the round, but Poirier was doing the right things. And, and I think some people also gave Poirier the round. I'd have to go back and rewatch the round to see how I would score it now without all the hype and everything going on. But, you know, I I really feel like it wasn't a, a lopsided fight. It was close. Connor edged it out. And then in the second round, Poirier took control. And what that does from a bigger industry perspective now is it does a couple of things subtle things that I don't think people are going to pick up on right away, right? One, it does signal that, okay, maybe this is it, right? A lot of casual fans that, you know, only tune in for Connor. We we know the pay-per-views are over a million. We'll get to that later on in the show, but you know, it, it's not that Davison Figueredo, as awesome as he is, especially fighting Brandon Moreno is going to draw a million pay-per-view buys. I mean, this is Conor McGregor. There are 800,000 or so people generally that tune in just for his fights. So from a casual perspective, yes, it kind of does look like Conor lost a step. It wasn't a, whoa, he's lost a step. He looked terrible in there. He needs to retire. But it was, oh, okay, he's not as good as he once was. Or, you know, just can't can't handle this competition. He's been away too long. The sport's caught up with him so to speak. I've seen a lot of that being talked about. That does kind of hurt MMA a little bit just because when your your big star gets hurt like that, you know, those people don't necessarily all transfer to Poirier. I think a fair amount of them will. I think Poirier will become a bigger star because of this. It's natural. It's what happens in the sport. If you look at Holly Holm beating Rousey, if you look at Masvidal, um, you know, basically beating Diaz and then really getting that one, 1 million plus pay-per-view buy type of thing. Diaz beating McGregor. There's lots of examples of this throughout the sport and throughout the industry. In this particular case, you're going to lose probably more fans than you gain over to Poirier. And that's simply because look at Rousey and Holt, right? You know, you had a, a legion of fans for Rousey. Holm knocks her out, makes her look bad too. Wasn't even just knock her out, like made Holm look bad. And you had a lot of people follow Holm, but when Rousey lost again, you didn't have all of those people now say, all right, well, I'm going to go back to Holly Holm. And yes, Holly Holm lost in that time frame, but even then, right, it, it's it was her second loss. It's kind of that air of invincibility is gone. And even those fans that came back for Rousey the second time around didn't transfer to Nunes, right? The the story was in the casual fans' mind, oh, Rousey just can't compete like she used to. That was the narrative. And that hurts the overall industry because in those situations, you don't get that immediate transfer, right? You don't get all of the fans that went from Rousey over to Holm, you don't get the remaining fans of Rousey going over to Nunes. Instead, it's, it's oh, okay, 
Rousey had a good run. She was champ for a long time, but it's, you know, she she's out of her prime. She can't do blah, blah, blah. Even, even if those things aren't true, the narrative becomes, oh, okay, Rousey's washed up. And with McGregor, a lot of the narrative here, right, because we saw him lose to Habib his last time out at 155. We saw him beat Cerrone, but, you know, Habib, the Habib loss in itself was a big, you know, that initial hit where I'm sure Habib got some fans and I'm sure they didn't, you know, because <laughs> McGregor fans are diehard and they make them particularly diehard with McGregor, it seems, which is good and bad because I still think McGregor is a draw, which we will get to also. But, but that transfer of fans here, the narrative that may end up coming out of this is McGregor's washed up. He's inactive. He's too busy doing a bunch of other things. His name has been in the media for not so many great things. Now he's, he's gallivanting around the world, doing his whiskey business with proper 12, all of that. And now he's come back and he's washed up. He's not the fighter he was. And you won't get a lot of those McGregor fans, or at least the majority, transferring over to Poirier. Not like they did with Diaz, where suddenly Diaz blew up. Diaz became this massive, huge thing. And it's not that Poirier isn't likable, right? He does a, a great amount of charity work. He's well-spoken. He's, you know, it, it's not that Poirier doesn't have personality. It's just that second hit of a fighter of a megastar like that doesn't have the same transference. It's just a natural thing. So it hurts the industry overall because McGregor was the last one standing in terms of the superstars. Jones had his time at the peak where he wasn't quite on the Rousey or McGregor level, but he helped build to what McGregor and, uh, McGregor, McGregor and Rousey became. And then Rousey reached those heights with all of her abilities and McGregor reached those heights. And I, and I need to also correct myself there. Jones didn't build Rousey. That's different, but he did help build McGregor. He was around him and Rousey being around helped build McGregor into what he was. And so now you've got this last pillar of, of superstardom really, that really draws the numbers consistently hits over that million mark. And that's gone. That's bad. A lot of people are talking about Israel Adesanya is right there, right on the cusp. If we're to believe the pay-per-view numbers, which we've talked about, little exaggerated, but he's clearly a draw. He's clearly, if he's not at John Jones's level, he's right near John Jones's level as a draw. That's big. But to get into that breakout place, he's still not there yet, where he's clearing millions of pay-per-views. And we had Masvidal, but there's a lot of backlash from Masvidal's, you know, decisions to be very political, very outspoken. And he did lose to Kamaru in dominant fashion too, it's going to be interesting to see what Masvidal draws when he comes back because he's kind of done some damage to his brand by getting into politics. He, he, you know, that I understand his decision there, but point point is it didn't pan out the way he probably thought it was going to and has really resulted in his popularity taking a hit. So it'll be interesting to see what he draws when Masvidal comes back if he's on a pay-per-view, if he's headlining a pay-per-view, right? Or at least on the co-main. So... If you have your biggest star get hit like that, you're now scrambling to find a star. And you can push out Asanya, but, you know, and we'll we'll get to this at another point. But there was clearly something to it when Dana was asked 
you know, who are your up and coming stars? Who, who else name drop some people in, in an interview with Stephen A. Smith, I believe on ESPN, which is one of the best ways to reach the casual audience really. And he didn't come up with too many. He didn't say out of sign. A lot of people rag on him for that. He is trying to a, he's trying to a get Habib to come out of retirement at the time. If you didn't understand, that's what that interview was about. That's definitely what that interview was about. It was really trying to say lightweight's the best. There aren't this many good guys. It's only really McGregor. He's the big star. And then if he beats Poirier, oh, well, now you got to do a rematch, right? It was, he, he gambled it all on that one. That was kind of a, that's how I interpreted it, was that was a business roll of the dice of, yeah, I really think Conor's going to win this fight, and I'm going to hype him up to be the only superstar here so that, you know, Oh, we've got him. And then he, I think he believed, I think he really believed McGregor would get it done. And he had mentioned Habib in a different part of the interview. You know, I, if you haven't seen his conversations with Habib also on looking for a fight and, and that footage and everything, I mean, it's clear he was really gunning for that rematch. So I think that's really more what it was about, but th there aren't those natural building stars that are forming right now right? There's, there's Adesanya. That's really it. And even then it seems like he may have a cap and I know I get flack for that all the time, but I will sit here and say it until I start to see a million plus pay-per-view buys because, and, and he might be able to, to pull that off. If he goes up to light heavyweight, he beats Jan, becomes a champ champ and then fights Jones. Yes. You could build him into a megastar if he keeps performing the way he does. And if he's able to, you know, get his personality, Away and across the reaches to the casuals. Because a lot of people love his personality. A lot of people dislike it. But there are a bunch of people that are also apathetic to it. And that's really the last piece for Adesanya, in my opinion. That's, I think, is get converting those last apathetic people. Okay, cool. Now you've got a superstar. But then look at PFL. Look at Bellator. Look at, you know, all these other organizations. There aren't superstars there. They like to say, yes, Kayla Harrison is a superstar. Yes, Angela Lee is our superstar. Yes, they have their own mini brand that they tout, but they're not drawing the viewers and, and the revenue that someone like McGregor can. The, the closest thing you have right now is Adesanya or maybe Masvidal if he comes back and proves it, or Diaz. Diaz is still a draw, I think. He, he's taken, you know... He's taken that loss to Masvidal that was pretty pretty one-sided, and he took the McGregor loss, although that was much closer, but he still can move the needle. And, you know, that's it. That's that's really all you got. So, and, and he's hard to book. So it, it becomes an overall hit to the business right now until the next superstar is found or until the base of the business grows enough. And the UFC and other promotions are doing the right thing there, by growing out the business in international markets, right? Really, you know, signing a, a slew of Chinese fighters right now, the UFC is. Great call. Same one, I believe, is also doing similar. They're, they're really taking advantage of moving into Asia, moving into Russia, the Middle East, obviously, with Fight Island and, you know, the deal that they have with Abu Dhabi's tourism board. They're really trying to capitalize on that emerging market. And they're making all the right moves there. The problem still becomes they haven't grown it to a point where it can replace someone like a McGregor.
business is growing. It's booming. It's still very healthy and doing very well, especially this past year, even in the pandemic, you know, having most sports being canceled or people stuck indoors on weekends in a lot of international countries has clearly helped them out. When the pandemic ends, I think they're going to take even a little bit more of a hit in terms of viewership and things of that nature. I think there will be a overcorrection. People are going to want to go out all the time. People are going to want to, you know, travel a bunch. They're going to want to do things they haven't been able to do for a year and a half. And really just a year at this point. But when it's all said and done, about a year and a half, maybe. So, you know, I think they're in for some struggle there. And I think losing the way that he did, McGregor did hurt the industry a little bit. I don't think it's anything groundbreaking or, you know, or ground shaking rather where it's like, Oh no, the industry is going to collapse. No, but it's, it's definitely not great that he lost from an industry standpoint at this point. It's really, when it comes down to it, it's not the best thing to, to have your only real superstar and, and crossover star who was out there doing a lot of things, still getting that attention lose in the fashion he did. In terms of the promotion, right, UFC, this, this hurts because your biggest pay-per-view draw, again, just got crushed. And a lot of the same points that I, I brought up for the industry as a whole get magnified much more within how this affects the UFC. Because now, you know, Dana has to be worried about, is McGregor going to draw as well next time? Which fight do I make for him? I wanted that Habib-McGregor rematch. That's pretty much off the table now which I guarantee that pay-per-view would have done ridiculous numbers, especially in a pandemic. My guess is it would have been bigger than the first, if only because still so many countries outside of the U.S. are still locked down or taking the virus in a much different way than the U.S. is. I would imagine your international buys would be through the roof. Again, with what Habib versus uh, Gaethje did on Russian TV, the viewership he did there where it's free to watch in Russia – that probably grew a ridiculous fan base. And my guess is they might, I'm, I'm assuming you'd still have to do Russian TV, but you probably up that pay-per-view price even higher. And especially international markets, if you're doing Habib versus McGregor too. So that was a lot of potential money that's now just gone. And that's got a sting, right? That's what Dana has been angling for, for a long, long time. And this was really this, he needed McGregor to go out there, look very good, call out Habib and really try and force him back into the octagon. And now that's not going to happen. And Poirier didn't even call out Habib, right? Poirier just like, nope, he's gone. I'm not going to call him out. I'm going to try and get a McGregor rematch or a Diaz fight because I want money. Didn't even call out for, for the... Said afterwards on Twitter that he was the uncrowned champion, give him the belt and all that. But really, he's calling for money fights against what he knows to be the two biggest draws because Poirier understands the business. And so, you know, that that hurts the UFC because now they're also in a pickle about how they're going to match people up. That You know, do you give Poirier his wish for a McGregor rematch right away or a Diaz fight? What do you do with Michael Chandler, who looked really good? What do you do with Charles Oliveira, who's on an eight-fight win streak and has looked phenomenal? How do you put these pieces together? McGregor wins. You can angle for a Habib rematch, or if Habib truly is retired and stays retired, which I think he is, but obviously Dana didn't, uh, then you end up with a McGregor versus any one of those guys 
of, of you know Charles Oliveira. You you could do Charles Oliveira, you could do Michael Chandler, you could do Justin Gaethje even. And you've got another million dollar pay-per-view set in stone right there for the title, of course. But, you know, not to mention if Connor wins the title match, also locks him into a longer contract, right? Championship clause. So you've lost all of that now. And you are now scrambling to put on the best matches you can that A, make money and B, have the lightweight title picture shake out in a way that your champion replaces Habib or Connor. That's a that's a aspect not a lot of people are covering right now, right? Habib had just kind of reached the peak of his superstardom when he retired. And I truly think he's retired. Again, I, I really have no reason to believe he's going to come back. McGregor, on the other hand, always a draw. And, and I still think will still be a draw for the rest of his career. Might get hurt a little bit, but still going to be there. But him as the champion... Again, you get to tout him as champ. You get to look at super fights. You get to do a whole bunch of stuff. Can't do that now. McGregor and Habib are out of the title picture, so to speak. So who do you choose to replace your biggest drawing champion? Because Lightweight has been the biggest drawing champion for a while. Yes, Adesanya is making a run at it. He's he's growing that momentum, hopefully by moving up to 205 in Dana's eyes. That right? That's the whole purpose of letting Adesanya move up get both the belts at middleweight and 205 and try and get a John Jones super fight to have him end up taking the reins there, but he's not there right now. And so, you know, do you go with Poirier? Do you try and set up a match where maybe Michael Chandler, who's new, had a, a nice post, nice call out speech, right? Prepped, really shocked everyone by knocking out Dan, Dan Hooker. He's got the look. He's got, you know, the veteran experience. They can market him that way. Do you try and set those two up to, to duke it out for the belt? I mean, it sounds like that's what they want to do, but, you know, do you, what do you do with Charles Oliveira? The kid is amazing, as Dana would say. Uh, it is, you know, he's, he's incredible. Where, do, where does he fit into the mix in terms of drawing power? Because it doesn't seem like he can necessarily draw, but he hasn't had that many opportunities. So who knows? It really becomes now a giant headache for the promotion to deal with the fallout of a McGregor loss, especially in the method that he lost, right? We've seen Dana skirt close split decisions. We, we saw it not that long ago with Jose Aldo versus Marlon Moraes. Just gave Aldo a title shot, even though he technically lost that bout. You have a close split decision? Well, you could, you know really pump up a rematch. You can say, oh, well, that was a robbery. I thought McGregor won. You could you could do it a lot of different ways. But a knockout, a straight-up knockout that didn't even, it wasn't a back-and-forth war until the knockout. It was, okay, McGregor might have edged that round. They both look good. And then Poirier took control and knockout. It, that's rough. That's rough for the promotion. Lastly, for McGregor, you know, again, this hurts his brand for sure. I still think he is a draw. I think he's hit that peak and he's moved beyond that level where i think people will always turn in for a mcgregor fight no matter what right like look at tyson he came out of retirement people loved watching him fight roy jones jr and whatever the heck that was yeah you know same thing with mcgregor here i think he's already reached the level that he's not ever going to lose a certain floor to his to his drawing power but his ceiling definitely took a hit here and his brand took a hit, right? He's out there trying to do a million different things. He's got, you know, uh, several different 
fitness training programs. He's got Mac life. He's got, you know, food stuff. He's got the whiskey, which we all know about. He's got all that stuff. And losing always hurts your brand in those regards. If you don't believe me, just ask Rousey, right? Rousey was set up to do a bunch of movies, was supposed to do a whole bunch of stuff. And all of a sudden, you don't see Ronda Rousey in movies ever since she lost to Amanda Nunes. Even though she went on WWE, she did, you know, got some hype there, did a run there. All of that, it hurts your brand when you lose. He's still got a floor. He's still drawing power. He, he still has drawing power. Anyone saying he doesn't, you're just wrong. You're just flat out 100% wrong. He still will draw. And even if he lost his next fight, still would draw. I think he does. If he loses his next four fights, I think he still draws bigger numbers than most pay-per-views. It's just the way it is once you hit that level. It's how it goes. But that being said, it it does still sting either way. Your ceiling's been hurt. Your brand's been been hurt. you got to adjust. And it'll be interesting to see what he does. He said he wanted to fight, uh, you know, a ton before this fight. Now he says he wants to, you know, train up. He wants to get a rematch against Poirier. Admitted inactivity hurt him. Well, okay, let's see what his move is now. Because if he starts fighting a lot and he starts racking up wins, okay, you can regain that. You could say, yeah, he was gone for a while. You could you pull Rocky Three, right? If you haven't seen Rocky Three, go watch a montage of Rocky Three at least so you understand what I'm talking about with the synopsis. But <laughs> point is you can come back you can win a couple you can build that back up you can build your brand back up you can you can get it back you come back you start losing well again floor is still there but your ceiling suddenly becomes lower and lower and it's very hard to push the ceiling back up it really is you know it's at some point you can technically fall through the floor right if you're going oh and ten uh, you know, BJ Penn is a good example of that. I think because towards the end there, nobody really wanted to see him fight. It was just bad, but it's very hard to do. But what's even harder is to push your ceiling back up once you've lost it. It's just, it's hard because you'll have a lot of casual fans that will watch McGregor lose and say, oh man, he's not what he was. Okay, I'm done with it. And even when it's all oh, McGregor versus Diaz three, or McGregor versus Ferguson, all this stuff. They'll say, yeah, yeah, but he's not that good. I saw I saw him lose to Habib. I saw him lose to Poirier. That's, that's the life of a casual fan. So that's how it affects really all aspects of business, from the industry to the promotion to just McGregor himself. All right, so next up, now that we've talked about the business ramifications of McGregor's loss and what that means, Poirier's win too, right? Because he's not getting enough credit. Shout out to Dustin Poirier for dealing with the media just really focusing on McGregor throughout all this when he's he's done a lot of you know amazing adjustments to win that fight crazy good charity work all that stuff you know shout out to him for kind of just being a being a good sport about it all because this is what happens when a McGregor fight happens is you get a lot of publicity on him and not the other guy that being said best matchups now for the UFC so I thought a lot about this and at first I was really leaning towards, okay, you could do McGregor versus, you know, Ferguson. You could do McGregor versus Diaz three, pull the trigger on that one. If you wanted to, you could do the Poirier rematch. Um, you could set up, you know, you could set up Poirier against Oliveira or against Chandler for the vacant belts and have McGregor, you know, again, 
just kind of take some time off and then have him come back into the scene somehow once dust is settled, give him more time to train. Here's the thing. It clicked the other day for me. And it here, here's why McGregor versus Poirier is what, from a business perspective, that is the only match to make. And it, it took me a while, so bear with me here. But the biggest thing is you're always going to have Diaz McGregor three, right? They're one-on-one. Second one was close. People have been saying, yeah, it'll be there forever. Especially now that Diaz has lost a couple. McGregor's lost a couple, right? Intermittent win, losing streak type of thing. Or really just alternating wins and losses, vice versa. You can do that. That fight will always be there. You can do that two years from now, three years from now. It's better you do it sooner rather than later so that it's not they're too old and you're like, whoa. And people, you know, because the time does tick on those things in terms of, you know, the potential ceiling again. That that kind of gets hurt. But you still have that in your back pocket. If you do McGregor versus Tony, I've seen a lot of people say, yeah, do McGregor versus Ferguson. That's great and all. It'll probably draw. But, you know, again, how well it draws is still up in the air. Probably a million plus because it's still McGregor. But it's a dangerous opponent. And then with a win, the the guy who wins in that situation gets back into the, the conversation maybe, but still needs at least one more win to get back into the title picture, which makes sense, right? So not out of the realm of possibility, but still not your best move business-wise. The reason why you have to do Poirier versus McGregor now, the trilogy now, is if McGregor fights anyone else and loses again, that fight is gone. And every other scenario, if McGregor fights Poirier and loses, loses the trilogy, but then wants to fight Ferguson, or then wants to fight Diaz, or wants to fight Charles Oliveira, totally acceptable. RDA, right? They were supposed to clash. You could set them up. That those matches are all still there. But if McGregor fights Ferguson or Oliveira or anyone else other than Poirier right now and loses, it, it's that rematch is gone. The rematch with Poirier is gone. The trilogy fight won't happen. Similar to how you know the Habib versus McGregor 2 fight is probably gone forever. It's the same type of scenario here. You can't have Poirier, who just knocked out McGregor, fight somebody else and then, or or wait, right? Or sit on the sidelines for a bit and have McGregor fight somebody else. And if Poirier continues to win and McGregor loses, that's it. You can't have McGregor then fight for the title or fight even just fight Poirier based on a merit standpoint, right? You can't do it. So... It would take a while. You could eventually, let me rephrase that. You could eventually get the Poirier rematch back or trilogy. I keep calling a rematch trilogy. You could get the Poirier rematch or trilogy eventually. But right now, if you don't take Poirier versus McGregor three, it could be gone forever. There are ways to get back to it eventually, but there are also plenty of ways where it just never manifests. And a good trilogy fight where you have each guy knocking out the other is hard to pass up, right? There's a reason they did Stipe versus DC 
two and then three. Right? I mean, and two was a great fight. It, it made a lot of sense. But there's a reason that you didn't have Stipe win the belt from DC and then have DC fight somebody else and Stipe fights in Gadu or somebody. Because if DC loses, that's it. You don't get the trilogy. If Stipe loses, you probably don't get the trilogy. It, it's you've, you've got to strike while the iron's hot. And what Poirier's done is set himself up for a trilogy match with McGregor that makes a lot of sense. Because, yes, you could have Poirier versus Diaz, and then if Diaz somehow won, you could still do McGregor versus Poirier, but even then, you, you've got to keep McGregor on the shelf because if McGregor goes out there and loses, it's over. If he wins, sure. If he goes out and fights Tony Ferguson, let's say he does that, he wins, Poirier wins, yeah, you can work your way back up to it, but even then... If Poirier, let's say, has the belt in his next fight, if he doesn't fight McGregor or Diaz, he's probably fighting for a belt next. It'd be hard to let Connor jump the line. It would be it would be tough. I mean, the promotion could do it, but it's harder to sell, especially amongst the hardcores and even the casuals at that point. It, it would be a little rough. So you, you've got to do McGregor versus Poirier 3. That's the next fight. I know a lot of people are going to hate that. I know a lot of people are saying, what are you talking about? Well, yeah, I know. I know. But from a business perspective, that's the fight you have to do. Because otherwise, you risk losing it forever. And you know that's going to be at least a million plus. Will it be bigger than what they just did? Eh, maybe. I would say probably. But you never know. He did just lose knock by knockout. Yeah, it might be a little bit lower. Either way, though, still a million plus. And it's a guaranteed million plus pay-per-view. All you got to do is just put them against each other. And you can build it much more than they did this time, right? They they focused a lot on McGregor's return. Makes sense. McGregor had been gone for a while. He's the bigger star. Sure, focus a lot on McGregor's return. This time, though, you can really build the the fight between the two. You can really build, you know, Dustin Poirier up as well. You can you can build the storyline similar to what they did with Diaz McGregor too. They they shot a lot of footage. It was a whole thing. You can build it up that same way with Poirier versus McGregor three. You have all the makings and all the tools to do it. So that's the match to make. If you're going to make that match, then I think it makes sense to do Charles Oliveira versus Michael Chandler for the vacant belt too, because you don't want to do Poirier versus McGregor for the belt. You can't really, especially since, you know, McGregor just lost. There's, there's no way it would, it, that's too hard to sell. So let, let Poirier have his money fight and do Oliveira versus Chandler in the meantime for a vacant strap or, if you want to, again, with with the business perspective, a lot of people are going to hate it. Do Chandler versus Oliveira for an interim title? People hate the shit out of that, but go ahead and leave Khabib at, or go ahead and leave Khabib as the champion, and do you know Chandler versus Oliveira for an interim title? Let Poirier versus McGregor happen, and then vacate. Have have Khabib vacate the belt. And have the winner of Chandler and Oliveira fight the winner of Poirier and McGregor. Because if McGregor wins that one, he's right back in it. And if Poirier wins that one, again, whoever he wants. So I think that's the best matchups that the promotion can do at this point from those top four guys. You got Gaethje in there too, right? You've got a lot of up-and-comers. 
in the lightweight division, it's still a, a, you know, crazy, crazy good division. So you've got a lot of different pieces you can play there, but I, in terms of McGregor and Poirier, you've got to run it back for the third time. And then for Chandler, yes, he's made a huge statement. He's got his name out there. Have him, have him take out, Charlie Charlie Olives, as we so fondly call him here, uh, if he wants to get the belt, right? And it makes it, it makes sense for Charlie Olives as well to to get that title shot. Eight fight win streak. He's got the best merit claim of everybody, including Poirier. Everybody want to talks about yes, Poirier, you know, deserves a title shot. Uh, sure, from a business standpoint, but he did only beat Dan Hooker and then a guy who doesn't have a win in the lightweight division since. 2016. So from a meritocratic standpoint, Charles Oliveira is is above Poirier in terms of getting a title shot. So again, that's probably what the business will do. I know Dana talked about uh Chandler versus Poirier. We'll see. I, I think that's kind of him, you know, in the heat of the moment after the fact. I think once he sits down and thinks about it, those are the matchups you're gonna get. McGregor, Poirier trilogy, and then Chandler versus either Gaethje, I could see that too. Um, but really should be Chandler versus Oliveira or Oliveira versus Gaethje. Chandler waits in the wing, something of that nature. Chandler versus Diaz. There's lots of possibilities on that side, but you got to do McGregor Poirier three. All right. To wrap up our UFC 257 portion of the show, let's talk about the pay-per-view buy estimates. So according to the Sports Business Journal, who I generally trust, they, they do have multiple sources. It seems they're, they're not out there constantly quoting numbers that lead back to Dana necessarily. So I, I would semi trust these numbers. It's hard again. I've, I've talked about it a million times. I'll talk about it again, but it's hard to ever trust them fully. We, we know that they've been wrong. Everybody's been wrong ever since you've been behind ESPN plus, but I'd say they're probably in the right ballpark. And we got a 1.6 million pay-per-view buy estimate from UFC 257. So I'm a little proud of myself because I was only 100,000 off this time. I've, I've been f- much farther off in other c- scenarios. But I, I think, again, you got the the lockdown still going down internationally, right? Uh, apparently, according to that article, 1.2 million came from the US, but 400,000 came internationally. So that makes a big difference. Um, I, I think internationally as you have stricter COVID things and lockdowns going on, or at least restrictions of what you can do going on, makes sense. You're going to get higher buy rates in other nations. So I, I thought that was going to be the case. It seems that that's, yeah, what that's 25%. Yeah. I mean, that's, you know, that's a fair amount of buys internationally. So I, I think that COVID bump is still there for this one. Um, and again, McGregor's return was always going to draw, you know, especially after beating Cerrone. He, some people are going to say, oh, okay, there was some bump there because he, he beat Cerrone, so now it's higher. Sort of, but again, I think I think it's more COVID bump still. I would equate that extra 0.25 million buys to be because of the COVID bump. I think, I think COVID... Uh, Cerrone versus McGregor probably does around 1.5, 1.62, but makes sense that you had these numbers. This is what I estimated and about the right take in terms of international buys of, of domestic, but 
at the same time, a, a interesting piece in all of this is that you had a non-title bout headlining a pay-per-view for the first time since I think McGregor headlined against in, in which in terms of it being scheduled and all that as well. And McGregor headlining against Diaz in the rematch at 202. Or no, duh. Since McGregor headlining against Cerrone. And then before that against Diaz. So again, you have this McGregor headlining without a title on the line. It, it proves his drawing power. There's a reason he's one of the very few that get to headline a pay-per-view with no title on the line. I think the only other person that could pull that off at this point would be if Ronda Rousey returned. I think that is the one person that could come in and headline a pay-per-view without a title in, in the picture whatsoever. Otherwise, it's it's McGregor. And again, will those, those buys hold up down the line? Will we actually know how far they're off, right? I mean, everybody wants to talk about, yes, 1.6 million. Was it more than... Diaz McGregor too. That's what a, a lot of, I keep hearing from a lot of people. Was it higher than that? We're never going to know. We'd need to see actuals because both of them were reported at 1.6. And as we just saw in December, when McGregor revealed the actual pay-per-view numbers, it had been 2 million originally, or the equivalent of 2 million buys under the old system was what was touted. Then, you know, you had uh, the Disney CEO on a call, earnings call, tout the numbers of a, around a million buys for UFC 246. So that became the new number. For a year until December when McGregor was like, oh, wait, by the way, it's actually 1.35, you know, million. So a little bit higher than that. We're never going to know. We're never going to know where this ranks as the, in terms of highest pay-per-view buys of all time, its exact spot. We know it's up there, right? We know it's top five or so, I believe, but we're never going to know where it falls in terms of, is it above McGregor Diaz too? Is it below all that stuff? And it still could be off by as much as 300,000 buys. So who knows? Could technically be less than uh, McGregor Cerrone, right? Hypothetically. But that, again, is the widest margin of error. Here, I trust the guys at Sports Business Journal. Semi-trust them anyway for as much as they can know because it's obviously coming from sources. Uh, there's obviously going to be, if you didn't notice from McGregor releasing the pay-per-view buys, there's the projected and then the actual buy count. That's going to be different. So how much we still don't know there as well. Um, but yeah, I, th I think all in all, this did about what I thought it would and shows McGregor still got drawing power. And I think after this loss, when McGregor comes back, maybe it takes a little bit of a hit. Again, that ceiling gets hit, but I'd still, I, it's still going to be a million plus. If you don't think a McGregor pay-per-view sells a million plus, regardless of the fact that he just got knocked out, he, I'm sorry. I don't know what to tell you because you're wrong there. It's at least a million unless they put them up with some crazy opponent. But again, uh, these buys were in line with what we thought. So good to know that we're pretty accurate there, at least according to Sports Business Journal. Hey, hey. Next up, we're going to quickly hit on Ben Askren and Jake Paul. Now, I'm not going to go into why this was done, right? Uh, you know, it's a money fight. It's It's... It's entertainment, right? It, it's the world we live in nowadays. So I'm not going to go into the boxing side of it too much because I'm not an expert in the boxing side. Not, you know, I'm, I'm going to go into the business side of it a little bit, but more so on the MMA side. So a lot of people have asked me, 
why would the UFC let Ben Askren do this, right? He admitted in an interview with Ariel Hawani, he's still under contract and he got the UFC's blessing to go ahead and box Jake Paul. And a lot of people have Jake Paul winning this fight. I could see it going either way. You know, Askren striking has looked atrocious in MMA. We all know that. But he has been training striking, or at least some version of striking, for a long time. For years upon years. If he focuses in the next 80 days or so on just boxing, who knows? He's not going to go out there and beat, you know, Floyd Mayweather or look even competitive against him. No, not, not even remotely. But he might be able to beat Jake Paul, who's really never fought an actual fighter, right? He's fought another YouTube star and fought a basketball star, Nate Robinson, who also trained boxing to specifically fight Jake Paul. So we're talking about Jake Paul really boxing his first actual professional fighter here. And I, Ben Askren, if he trains just boxing all day, works hard at it, maybe. There's a lot of physical ailments, right? He just had his hip replaced or uh, smoothed or whatever it is. I, I That whole thing. So he training videos, looks like he's got movement, looks like he can do things, but he's older. He's not going to be as fast, right? There, there's going to be a lot of issues here that Ben has to overcome. So why? Why on earth would the UFC let Ben do this, right? Really, the answer is very, very simple. It is to make them look better in the antitrust lawsuit. That is your only real explanation as to why you let one of your contracted stars go box a YouTuber and you don't get a cut. If they were getting some cut on the back end, I get it. And maybe there is some deal that's happening there that we're just not aware of. And it's like, okay, they're getting some cut on the back end. Makes sense. But to let one of your contracted fighters go free and clear to box a YouTuber, which should hypothetically do, you know, better than your average boxing pay-per-view nowadays, maybe. Hard to say. Not the bigger guys, right? But um, but against, you know, some of the other boxing pay-per-views we've seen or, or boxing main events, yeah, could definitely draw. Could certainly draw. We just saw, you know, Mike Tyson versus Roy Jones do over a million. I, I You could easily see this. I don't know it would do over a million, but I mean, Logan Paul versus KSI, Jake's brother did a million, was, was cheaper, but still did a million buys. So to not take any of that part of that money as a, as a promoter when your contracted fighter is participating, the only reason is to really, again, kind of follow the path of Bellator, right? Bellator does this. Uh, Andre Korshikov just, you know, announced that he's fighting recently in another promotion. People are asking, oh, did he get released? No, Bellator just letting him do it. PFL, let Kayla Harrison fight, Titan FC, while they didn't have the season going on. It's part of the antitrust lawsuit. UFC says, yeah, Ben Askren is never going to look competitive with our guys again. Never going to look, you know, good, probably. Maybe he gets uh, lower top 15 if we're lucky, but who knows? He's older. He's past his prime. We can't utilize him too much. We still want his name and likeness. Oh, we still want that because we still want to be able to make the trading cards, all that stuff. Yeah. Oh, for sure. But in terms of like getting actual fights out of him, eh, probably not going to happen. But what can we do? We can go ahead and sacrifice whatever the revenue we would get if we worked out some deal with Triller to have one of our contracted fighters go fight there. 
and we can make it appear as, oh yeah, independent contractor, man. Sure, that's cool with us. Go ahead. We're under contract, but I mean, in the spirit of we know you got to work, we know you got to get in fights other places, go ahead. It makes them look better for that. Obviously, the antitrust lawsuit is still miles and light years away from actually getting to trial, but I don't think the UFC ever thought they were going to have that you know lawsuit be class certified. And so this is a, a preemptive move to that because five years from now, when it finally does get to trial, really if, because I don't know that it ever will, but if it does get to trial, they can point to something like this. Be like, no, we let our fighters go do other things. Look, we let Ben Askren go box Jake Paul. We could have taken a huge amount of revenue, but we're not, he's not an employee. There, there's a lot of thought that goes into that. And it makes sense. It's really the main reason I believe they're letting him do it. So that's why you're getting this fight in the first place. In terms of the business side, I've talked about, you know, Mike Tyson and Roy Jones Jr., the appeal, the entertainment factors, the same thing that goes into Logan Paul versus KSI, the actual event itself. And Askren's going to get paid. He's going to get some limelight. He's going to get paid. He's going to get new fans probably, especially in the lead up. You know, Askren is a good trash talker. That was his whole thing. That was part of the whole reason Dana wanted him in the UFC. He People forget because it's been a while, but I mean, he was trash talking it up on his way to the Lawler fight and his way to the Masvidal fight. It's going to be a good trash talker here. He's going to gain some fans. He's going to gain some money. It makes sense. It's an easier fight for him to take too because it's an exhibition against a YouTuber. Someone that he truly believes, okay, he's not a professional fighter. This should be easy. Yeah, I'm not the best striker in the world, but I can outbox that kid. And maybe he can. We'll see. But again, that's that's really the business motives here is Astron's looking to make some money. UFC's looking to make themselves look good in the antitrust lawsuit. Last thing I want to touch on for this episode is, is something that came to my attention when I was listening to uh, Unlocking the Cage with uh, Jimmy Smith on SiriusXM. Great show. If you have SiriusXM, highly recommend it. Jimmy's done a really great job taking over the Luke Thomas show his insights are amazing. The fact he's not regularly commenting in MMA and working, you know, for a promotion is still crazy to me, but you know, here we are, he's doing it. He's killing it in radio. So if, if you get a chance to uh, listen to that show, definitely check it out. But he brought up something in terms really as a consequence of the uh, Ben Askren, Jake Paul fight talking about freak show fights and what he saw internally at Bellator, right? When they did fights like Kimbo versus Dada, when they did these freak show fights, you get, you know, older UFC vets or, you know, just kind of crazy matchups, and you have them go down in Bellator, which Bellator was known to do for a while. And he talked about how internally the whole thing was, is, hey, bring over this dude, right? Um, who was it? What's his name? Aaron, is it Chalmers? Man. Uh, I'm, that's on me. I should know this. It's been, ugh, yeah, it's been a crazy day, but, um, the, the guy that was on the Geordie shore, right? English Geordie shore guy. They brought him in to fight. He's been winning, been trying to get some, you know, kind of freak show ish fights. You got, uh, James Haskell, the rugby player is now going to fight in Bellator. That's been their MO for, for a while. But what Jimmy Smith said during a lock of the cage this past week was, you know, we looked internally at the numbers and the thing was, is the thinking was always, we're going to get some of these 
fans of this particular person to come watch this fight and then become Bellator fans. And it just never translated. And that's a really big point of freak show fights, right? You, you had celebrity boxing, which I don't believe is on anymore, but was, you know, very popular for a long, long time. Uh, you know, and, and it was popular because the fans of the celebrities would watch, not because then they would translate into, oh, I'm going to go watch boxing and that boosted boxing's name. No, same with, you know, MMA fights, right? You had Jose Canseco fight over in Pride. Didn't get a ton of baseball fans that converted to MMA. You had, you had, you know, um, you, had, you had several prominent athletes. Oh man, his name is escaping me now. And this is going to, uh, the football player. Super football, Herschel Walker. Herschel Walker fight multiple times. Didn't translate to a ton of MMA fans. Most recently, we've seen this, CM Punk. CM Punk fights, you know, bumps up UFC 203's pay-per-view quite a bit. That was probably a lot of CM Punk, you know, making his pro MMA debut against Mickey Gall. He fights not a bunch of pro wrestling fans coming over, Right? The only time it works is when you have a Brock Lesnar or you have someone that comes over, wins a lot, and then stays around, becomes champion, becomes, you know, a regular mainstay of the sport. Lesnar fought multiple times in the UFC. He coached the ultimate fighter. I mean, th those are, he was a part of the organization and he won a lot. So you already had Lesnar being this WWE star and having a bunch of fans. And then he stayed over in the UFC, which is why a lot of fans then converted. You can't do these one-off freak show fights and expect to draw a ton of people. This is probably something that may happen with Triller, similar to what happened with celebrity boxing is, you know, having these freak show fights gets old after a while. You start to run out of celebrities. You can pull to step into a ring and do this. It's not going to be there. If you have a C list versus C list celebrity, the, the numbers aren't going to translate. And so a lot of people, again, talking about Ben Askren and all this stuff. No, if Ben Askren goes out there and knocks out Jake Paul, you're not going to see a bunch of people Oh, I got, I got to watch MMA now. No, it's not going to happen. If he goes out and has a competitive fight, right? No, it, it, it's not. It's not going to be a thing. Most likely, if it, if you get some crazy knockout and then he trash talks and, and goes viral, maybe. But it, it it's not. Freak show fights don't yield long term results. They're always a temporary boost. And, and the fact that Jimmy Smith, who was on the inside at Bellator, right? Because I've, pre I've preached this for a while. We've had other pundits preach this, but we never, you know, had someone on the inside. Jimmy Smith was on the inside of Bellator. He saw the numbers. He saw the entire plan, the reasoning, everything about it. The numbers never came through. And so, you know, that leads to this whole thing, which we, me and uh, Matt talked about on a different video, if you haven't seen it already, in terms of, you know, is it a black mark on MMA if Jake Paul beats Ben Askren? No, I mean, it will hurt a little bit in the casual fan eyes, but not really. It's not the casuals are suddenly going to say, oh, that MMA guy got beat up by a YouTuber. Man, boxing must be the real sport and go over there. It's not going to happen. It's just not. It would be the equivalent of Ben Askren fans or MMA fans who are watching this boxing match 
if Jake Paul knocks out Ben Askren, they're going to be like, man, maybe Jake Paul actually knows how to box. And then tuning in for every single one of his fights and then tuning into his YouTube content. That's not how it works. Freak show fights don't yield long-term results. And now we have someone on the inside confirming that. So again, you got the spectacle. We'll see how it is. Yes, I'm going to watch it. It's part of my job to watch it. Uh, if you watch it, I don't judge you. That's fine. It makes sense. It's entertainment, but it's just that. It's just entertainment. So it, it's just interesting to hear on the inside that freak show fights also don't translate into, you know, long-term things. All right, guys. Well, thanks again for joining me. I really appreciate it. If you're listening on YouTube, please hit this like button. Please hit the subscribe button if you are already. Uh, hit the notification button so you know when we're dropping new videos. We're really starting to build our content. I'm I'm liking what we've got planned for Q1 of 2021, so stay tuned for that. Should have some more regular shows coming, so get ready for that stuff. Uh, let me know in the comments about any of these subjects. You know, Do you think that McGregor versus Poirier three is is the best move from a business perspective is that the fight that should be done right now uh do you think that you know jake paul versus ben Askren is bad for business how bad is it that mcgregor lost you know how, how does that affect the overall landscape you think my assessments are right do you have other ideas love to hear them i love your questions about all this stuff you know where to find me at all day oj on twitter instagram although i'm not on instagram much so i recommend twitter um and, you know, if you're listening again on Anchor, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, what have you, I appreciate it so much. I really do. I want to give a shout out to you guys. Uh, got the timestamps in the description uh, for you guys that are listening on audio. So um, make sure you hit that up as well. But yeah, just thanks so much. And I know it was gone a week. Don't plan on taking any more weeks off. I will let you guys know via tweet next time. Everything kind of happened in a rush. Uh, so we didn't get it done, but we will again, be consistently doing this. And I love your guys' feedback. Thank you so much for watching. 2020 year was an awesome year for me and looking forward to 2021. So let me know also what topics you would like me to cover. If you have any business topics out there that you want me to break down for you, by all means, hit me up. I'd love to do that as well. Until next week, get money. <laughs>